Good morning, church. Whether you are a member here or a guest this morning, whether you're participating in person or you're participating online, I love you and I am so thankful that you are part of our assembly this morning and I hope that you are as encouraged by our time together this morning as I have already been. You encourage me, you encourage everyone here just by your presence and your participation. I want you to picture in your mind, I don't know if you've ever seen this before or not, but it's pretty easy to picture even if you haven't, but a map of the ocean currents. I don't know if you've ever seen an ocean current map. You can Google that later. Don't Google it now. But, but just picture in your mind a, a map of the world, and in all of the oceans, there are sort of arrows where the, the ocean currents are flowing, the directions that they're flowing. All over the world, the, the water is moving in certain directions. And, and I want us to kind of think of that as a metaphor because all over the world, the Holy Spirit is moving. All over the world, the Holy Spirit is moving, and He is moving, He, not it, He is moving in a very specific direction. He is moving in accordance with the will of God. He's moving in accordance with the will of the Father and the Son to carry those who are aligned with Him, to carry them according to the will of God. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I imagine, I'm guessing, I'm thinking, I'm hoping that we're here this morning and we're doing everything that we're doing throughout the week because that's what we want, to do the will of God. Is that true? Do, do you want to do God's will? We, we read in Scripture that it's impossible. It's impossible for us to do God's will unless the Spirit of God lives in us and dwells in us. This is, this is how we begin to do the will of God, is we find the direction that the Holy Spirit is moving and then we align ourselves with Him. Then it's, yes, it's God that's doing it, it's the Holy Spirit who's doing it, but it also requires intentional effort on our behalf. We have to intentionally, mindfully align ourselves with the Holy Spirit. Life in the Spirit requires conscious effort. Life in the Spirit requires conscious effort. The Holy Spirit doesn't just overtake your life and force you to do the will of God. You have to decide. And here are a few passages from the New Testament. Here's the way Paul and others talk about it. Walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 and verse 4. You have to choose to do that. Even once you've received the Holy Spirit when you were baptized, now you have to choose not to walk according to the flesh like you walked before, but now walk according to the Spirit. Or Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, live according to the Spirit. Or Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, set the mind on the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. Keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25. These are things you have to choose to do. You have to make a conscious effort to walk, live, set your mind on, keep in step with 
the Spirit. Or Galatians 6 and verse 8, sow to the Spirit. Or as other translations put it, live to please the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Or as, the, as we've been talking about extensively in this series, be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Ephesians 6 and verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the Spirit. These are all things that you and I, that Christians are told, this is what you're supposed to do. The conscious effort that you have to put forth if you want to be filled with and live by and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. If you want to do the will of God, then it's, yes, the Spirit of God working in you and through you and for you, but it's also you deciding to live in Him, to walk with Him, to keep in step with Him, to live a life that is pleasing to Him. God still allows you to make that decision, whether you're going to live according to the flesh or whether you're going to live according to the Spirit. So again, picture in your mind that map of the, the world's currents, the ocean's currents, and recognize that the Holy Spirit of God is moving all over the world to bring about the will of God. He is moving all over the world to bring about the will of God, and you have to decide, will you align yourself with those currents? Will you align yourself with the Holy Spirit? I heard a, another metaphor on the way here this morning. Somebody said, Tune into the frequency of, they weren't talking about the Holy Spirit, but I like that metaphor, tune into the frequency of, we don't typically tune in the radio very often anymore, but we remember, don't we? You have to tune into a specific frequency. The Holy Spirit is, is operating and bringing about the will of God, and you have to decide, will you tune into his frequency? Will you align yourself with him? Will you walk with him? Will you obey him? Will you live to please him? And so we might be asking, well, how do, how do we do that? How do we do all of these things? How do we live to please the Spirit and not grieve the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit? That's what our series this month is all about. We've been talking about some of these practices, and after today we'll be halfway through, so I thought this would be a good chance to just kind of stop and remind ourselves where we've been and where we're going we often call these kinds of things spiritual disciplines, but I think it's important for us to recognize that when we talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, what we're talking about is ways to align ourselves with the Spirit of God. So we talked about Scripture and how we need to approach Scripture expecting transformation, not merely information. Right? So often we approach Scripture and we're just expecting to gain information, but we're taught to approach Scripture expecting spiritual transformation. And we have to read Scripture that way and approach it that way. Approach Scripture expecting that the Holy Spirit of God is going to work through the faith that we gain by listening to the will and the word of God. So the first practice is reading scripture or listening to scripture or meditating on scripture, approaching it 
expecting spiritual transformation. Then last week we talked about prayer, specifically Romans chapter 8. And that we need to be mindful of the Spirit's presence and participation in our prayer life. Be mindful that the Spirit is present when we pray and is participating when we pray. That the child of God never prays alone. You never pray alone. If you belong to God, then when you pray, the Spirit of God is testifying that you really are God's child. He is interceding with you. He is groaning with you. But if that's true, if all of these things are true about the Holy Spirit, then it is, it is incumbent upon us that we are mindful of them, that we receive these promises by faith, that we approach Scripture expecting spiritual transformation, and that we pray mindful of the Spirit's presence and participation in our prayers. And then today we're going to talk about this idea of rest, rest. In the law of Moses, in the, in the Old Testament, God's people were commanded to rest, commanded to rest. Every seven days, every Sabbath, every Saturday, commanded to rest. And then every seventh year, and every seventh, seventh year, there was supposed to be a year of jubilee. God's people were commanded to rest because rest is a spiritual discipline. We're saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. And if we are going to walk by the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and live according to the Spirit, and do the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, then resting is going to be part of that. See, one of the things that we have been talking about in this series is that the Holy Spirit is a way for you to experience life after the resurrection before the resurrection. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in you and for you. The, 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 the Bible, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, is filled with the promises of God to say, this is, what, this is what eternity is going to be like for God's people. Here are all the promises that God makes to the, the remnant of his people. Here's what it's going to be like when the Messiah rules and the Messiah reigns. Here's what it's going to be like when God is king over the whole earth. And the Holy Spirit is a way for you to experience the eternal promises of God right now in the present. For you to have a foretaste of the life to come right now in the present. For you to begin to live a resurrection life even before you die. Right now you can begin to, to have a glimpse. This is what eternity is all about. And life in the Spirit is all about that. And that is the life into which you are being invited. When you are invited to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you are being invited to experience the life to come, the age to come, the world to come, the resurrection right now in the present. Even while you're alive in this present evil age that's passing away, you can begin to experience the age to come. Doesn't that sound wonderful? And, and the Bible is filled with these promises. Let's look at the book of Micah. Micah is a, 
It's a short book. Maybe encourage you to, to go and read that this afternoon. You got some time. But it's filled with both, both condemnation for Israel and Judah during the days of Micah. And Micah is prophesying against Israel and Judah and saying, this is what you're doing that's not in keeping with the covenant God made with you. You are being unjust. The, the land is filled with injustice. Micah 2 and verse 2. They covet fields and seize them and houses and they take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. This is what life was like during Micah's day. The, the people of God, the people that were supposed to be the people of God, were robbing each other. The leaders, the rulers were just taking whatever they wanted and defrauding people, robbing them of their inheritance. Chapter 3, then I said, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? You who hate good and love evil, who... Tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. I know that's an awful way to put it. But God is saying you're tearing each other to pieces. And I quit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights, you rich people are violent. Your inhabitants are liars and their tongues speak deceitfully. Therefore, I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. God says, I've had enough. And over and over again in the prophets, God said to his people, I've had enough. This is wrong. It can't go on like this forever. This injustice, this taking advantage of each other, this robbing each other, this being silent while people are taken advantage of. This cannot go on and I will punish you for it. And he said that the people listen to false prophets. Look at chapter two. If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I'll prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer. Micah says, that would be just the prophet for this people. That's the kind of prophet that you would want. Is the kind of prophet that says, hey, everything's great, everything's wonderful, you have plenty of wine and beer, and that would be the kind of prophet that you accept. But when somebody comes along and says, what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is evil, and you need to change, you need to repent, you need to stop, you won't listen to a prophet like that. Because you only want your ears to be tickled. And he warned them that punishment was coming. Chapter 2, therefore the Lord says, I'm planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They'll taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. And you said, wait, Wes, I thought you said this was going to be a sermon about good news, right? Good news. It is. And this is the way all of the prophets are. The prophets said over and over again to Israel and to Judah, stop. Stop living like this. Stop hurting each other this way. Stop worshiping idols. Stop this sinful behavior. God is going to punish you. He's going to take you off into exile. But embedded within that message was always the message of hope. Hope. That ultimately, God was going to bring them back. 
And that he was going to bring a Messiah, a a king to rule over them, to bring a time of peace and prosperity. Look at chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. From where? Bethlehem. From Bethlehem. That from Bethlehem would come a ruler. A ruler. Somebody in the future, but, but also someone whose origin is very old and ancient. That from Bethlehem would come this ruler who would bring a time of peace and prosperity. Chapter 4, verse 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant. Those driven away a strong, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. You see who he says are going to be the recipients, those who will inherit the kingdom of God. It's going to be the lame and the exiles and the remnant and those who have been driven away. All of them I will gather together. And do you remember what Jesus, the ruler that came from Bethlehem, do you remember how he began his sermon on the mount? Blessed are who? The poor, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are persecuted. Why? Because this has always been the promise. That God is going to gather up the poor and the lame and the remnant and the exile. And he's going to gather them all up and he's going to make them into a strong nation. He's going to make them into his people. He's going to bless them. He's going to rule over them. He's going to be their king. This is the promise that Jesus came to fulfill. This is the expectation and the hope that the faithful remnant of God was always hoping for. Micah lived 700 years before Jesus. And then Jesus came as the one from Bethlehem The one who says, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek, and blessed are the poor, blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? Because God is giving himself to you. He's giving his kingdom to you. Chapter 4, verse 1. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and people's Peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is the promise. 700 years before Jesus, and this is what Jesus brought to bear. Jesus, the one from Bethlehem, the ruler that his days were from the ancient days, comes and he brings the kingdom of God so that people from every peoples, people groups, all of these people groups or all of these nations, we also say Gentiles, that's us, right? That's us. That, that us, people on the other side of the world, have come to the mountain of God to say, teach us your ways, 
We want to walk in your ways. We want to do your will. We are worshiping the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jesus has brought us to the mountain of the Lord. The word of God has gone out from Jerusalem to all the nations of the world. When did that start? The day of Pentecost, do you remember? On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people spoke different languages. They were part of the dispersed Jewish people, but they began to be baptized into Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And from Jerusalem, the word of the Lord went out to the entire world. And now 2,000 years later, it has come to you. The word of the Lord has come to you so that you are the fulfillment of these promises that were spoken thousands of years ago, hundreds of years even before Jesus, you are the fulfillment of those things. Because you have come to the mountain of God. You have come to the temple of God to say, teach me your ways. I want to do your will. I don't want to live like I lived before. I don't want to be who I was before. I want to do the will of the Lord. And this is what the Holy Spirit has gone out into the world to bring about. The Holy Spirit has flowed out from Jerusalem to all the ends of the earth and has come to you so that you and I can begin to do the will of the Lord. Going on in chapter 4. He will judge. God will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. That's what's happening, isn't it? We're from different nations. We're from different people groups. God has always intended to gather together a multinational, multilingual, multi-ethnic family and to bring us together into one family, into one group, into one body and bring us together in peace. You see, we, right here, right now, and those of us like us that are confessing the name of Jesus all over the world, we are the fulfillment of these promises. But listen to what else he says. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, they'll take their weapons and they'll say, we're done using these like weapons. We're done. We're done. No more. We're not going to kill each other anymore. We're going to turn our weapons into farming tools. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets speak this way. This is what it's going to be like when the Messiah reigns. This is what it's going to be like when the Messiah comes. No more killing each other. No more hurting each other. God is going to bring different nations together into one, into one nation, into one family. You're going to love each other, and you're going to live at peace with each other. And we say, but is that already, or is that not yet? Is that already, or is that not yet? And the answer is yes. It's yes. That, that part of this is what God is ultimately going to bring about, and part of this is what you and I have to receive by Faith. Received by faith, which means we begin to walk in this right now. We begin to walk in this right now. We believe, we believe that even though you can't see Jesus with your eyes, 
You can't see the kingdom of God with your eyes. We believe that the kingdom of God is here. And we believe that Jesus is ruling with all authority in heaven and on earth. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is bringing about this peace. And I love this phrase. I love this phrase that everyone, here, go back to the, the passage if you would. Yep, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. That, that's a reminiscent phrase of when Solomon was king. When Solomon was king, it says he had shalom, peace. He had shalom on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba. Every man under his vine and every and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. And Micah is saying that that kind of peace is going to be given to all the nations and people groups of the world who will follow this Messiah, this King, that you're going to be able to breathe, sit under your own vine, and sit under your own fig tree, no longer being afraid, being at peace, at peace. Peace with God, peace with other people, and internal peace. Now we ultimately look forward to and we say, well, ultimately this will be true in the resurrection. In the resurrection, there won't be any more war, there won't be any more dying, there won't be any more hurting, there won't be any more conflict, there won't be any more hating, there won't be any more bitterness, there won't be any more rage, there won't be any racism, there won't be any of these things that afflict us now. And we say, yes, that's true, amen. But for those of us who have the Spirit of God in us, that should begin now. Now, this peace begins now in us and for us. The Holy Spirit is given to us so that you can begin to experience the age to come even now. In fact, we could put it this way, that the peace that passes understanding is proof of the Spirit's presence. Isn't that true? That the peace that passes understanding is proof of the Spirit's presence, that we can have peace that doesn't even make sense it's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our understanding. Because we know, we know that Jesus is king. And the Holy Spirit has come into our lives, into our very hearts, to bring that reality to bear in our lives. I was talking with a good friend of mine a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. His name is Robert. And Robert was recently diagnosed with a, with a brain tumor. Didn't realize anything was wrong until one day he was having trouble driving and Went to the emergency room, and sure enough, he had a, had a brain tumor that was intertwined. And they did surgery, and, and they removed it, and he's doing much better. But I was talking to him a couple weeks ago about what that was like, and a, about going through the surgery, and going through the follow-up, and all of the treatment. And he said, I experienced a peace like I've never experienced it before. And I know that it was because God's people were praying for me. It's not, it's not because we live in a time where we don't have problems. We're going to have plenty of problems. But in spite of the problems, we can have peace when the Spirit of God is present 
in us. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He's writing from prison. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't specifically mention the Holy Spirit there, but I know that the Holy Spirit is bringing about this peace that passes understanding. So is this peace, this internal peace, this peace with other people, this peace with God, is it something that, that God brings about in our life? Or is it something that we bring about in our life through our obedience to God? And the answer is yes, yes, it's yes. Yes, God is bringing this peace in you, a peace that passes understanding. It goes beyond anything you can comprehend. You think, I'm in the middle of the biggest fight in my life, a fight for my life, and yet I have peace because of the Holy Spirit. But you and I have to choose to walk in that peace. So that means sometimes you have to sit under your vine, sit under your fig tree, just stop. Stop hurrying and worrying because our hurry and worry stifle the Spirit's peace, don't they? Our hurry and worry stifle the Spirit's peace. This is the direction the Spirit of God is moving, to bring you peace, peace with other people, peace with God, and even an internal peace. But in all of our running at 100 miles an hour and never stopping, never slowing down, living at such a fast pace, always anxious about today and always anxious about tomorrow, we stifle the Spirit's Peace. So one of the things that we could do to walk by the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit is do what God's people have always been commanded to do. Be still and know that He is God. Rest. Take a moment to rest. Be anxious for nothing, but take your prayers and your requests to God. Spend time in Scripture Pray and rest and know and experience the peace, not just the peace that's coming, but the peace that's present because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. See, when we, when we take time to rest, when we take time to be here, to just sit and worship, we are practicing living like Jesus is King because we believe that he is. Amen? Amen? We believe that he is. We believe that Jesus is king. And if Jesus is king, what do we have to be worried about? And so when we, we stop and we say, yes, there's time to work, there's a time to be busy, but there's also a time to rest, we are practicing living like Jesus is king because not only will he be king forever, he's king right now. And the Holy Spirit has been given to you so that you can begin to experience the good news that Jesus is king, not just in eternity, but Jesus is king right now. And the Holy Spirit has been given to you so that you can begin to experience that, to experience the peace 
that passes understanding so that you can sit under your fig tree and under your vine and know that God is king and you have nothing to be afraid of. But maybe there's somebody here this morning and you don't have that peace yet because you haven't been baptized into Christ. You haven't received the gift of the Holy Spirit and you're ready. You're ready to step into the world to come, to begin to experience a burial and a resurrection with Jesus so that you can live with him right now in the present. Or maybe you've already done that. You've already surrendered your life to him in baptism. But all too often, you're not walking by the Spirit. You're walking by the flesh. You're not walking by faith. You're walking by sight. And a change needs to happen. And maybe your brothers and sisters can pray with you this morning. Or maybe you're just carrying a heavy burden because we still live in this present evil age and it hurts and it's scary and it's painful and we're here for you and we're here with you. Our shepherds would love to pray with you in the prayer room or you can come forward now. Let's together we stand sing this song.